and welcome to yet another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I am joined by three, count them, three other people in a studio that only has two other chairs. What will happen? Uh, to my right, uh, we have the host of some stuff and our friend, the best fake British accent you will ever hear, Matthew Taylor. Matthew, how are you? I'm wonderful. I'm Today, I'm not going by the moniker of Matthew. I am the meaty, automated, tactile Tertullian, having expert wisdom. Work it out. Oh, that medicine was stronger than I thought. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, so, moving uh, to my left, uh, in the other chair, Sarah, sometimes known as the Slayer. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Hi. Evening to all. And uh, the guy left standing at the moment, don't worry, the music will start, um, a guest, a graceful guest, possibly even a graceful atheist. Dave, how you doing? Hey, doing really well. Thank you so much for having me on. Great. And uh, look, we're going we're gonna to get into this thing uh, pretty quickly, uh, but I do want, uh, you know, for the new listeners... Uh, a chance to just uh, get to know who we are on the panel. I am uh, David. I've been hosting Skeptics and Seekers for uh, almost two years now, and uh, it's been a blast. Uh, you may have heard me on the uh, unbelievable show with uh, Justin Brierley. Uh There's another show coming up uh, in a few weeks uh, where I have a debate with Jonathan McClatchy. I think this is probably the first time that that has been um, announced, but that's coming up. It's probably too late for Justin to do anything about it anyway, so I'm telling you about it in advance. Uh, <laughs> listen for Unbelievable. He can drop that in the feed at any time. Um, and uh, I am a former Christian. I coined the term exgen. I've been trying to make this happen for a few years, and it has not caught on. Exgen. That's a capital X hyphen T-I-A-N. Make it happen. Anyway, I'm one of those uh, I was born uh, in the church, uh, as they say. I was a preacher's kid, a PK, I, I guess we're called sometimes. Uh, I left, I was baptized when I was seven. I started preaching when I was 12. I was uh, a youth minister at a small church by the time I was 15. I was an assistant minister by the time I was 21. And I was out of the door by the time I was 40. I'm 50 now. I've had 10 years to stew on this thing. So it's a bit of an anniversary for me. Uh, while I was in the church, I have been a leader in, of some description in three different denominations. And so I, um, I, I consider myself a, um, an amateur theologian. You might call me a professional theologian, except I don't have the degree. So you can call me an amateur theologian. Um, I love debating theological uh, slash biblical issues, and uh, really, I, I trained my whole life for it, and I didn't train for much else, and so what else am I going to do? Um, yeah, that's me. Uh, Matthew, who are you, and uh, what should we know about you uh, in your, your many wonderful works these days? 
I am Matthew, the perfect Brit. Uh, we, we forget, ignore what David says about my accent. You'll just have to deal with it. So I got involved with David with the Still Unbelievable book, the response to Justin's unbelievable book, and I podcast at Still Unbelievable and Proscenium with the lovely Andrew, who's not with us. This is a bit of an odd experience for me, actually, podcasting and not having Andrew's uh, voice constantly in my ear. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I have featured on... Dave, the Graceful Atheist podcast, which was great. And it's a genuine pleasure to have Dave on a podcast with me again, possibly for the third time, I think. Let's let's hope it doesn't stop there. I am not a PK. I'm an MK, a missionary kid, grew up in uh, Africa in a missionary environment there in Zambia, more specifically. And I was out by the time I was 40. I'm now 50. So I, like David, have had uh, 10 years plus a couple of years to uh, to stew it over and I think that the topic of people leaving Christianity is something that Christians don't take seriously enough and a lot of what I see online is specifically about us about apostates about people like myself is factually incorrect so much of the time and I think Christians really need to pay attention to what it is that we're saying Sarah yeah, so I'm Sarah, and um, same as the other two here I've so far. Uh, I was a Christian pretty much all my life into about my 40s. Um, I was mostly involved in like the charismatic movement in the UK, but also dabbled in plenty of other denominations. So I had what I thought was a fairly wide view of uh, the, the Christian spectrum. Um, I went on a journey to obviously shore up my faith, faith um, and accidentally uh, deconverted on the, on, the, on the way. So um, that's about six, seven years ago. So um, I think I'm through the worst of it. But uh, for some reason, uh, it's a bit like a scab that you keep picking and looking at. I'm not sure entirely why. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, but I've contributed to the uh, Still Unbelievable book. And uh, I think I can uh, thank a lot of these guys who've been on the forums uh, on the Unbelievable boards for enlightening me on some of the issues. Because I have to say, really looking back, I probably was just a, a kind of a very average knowledge of uh, apologetics and theology and things like that. We were pretty light on those things. It was all uh, much more about uh, living you at the Christian life kind of practically day to day rather than delving into uh, what Jewish uh, ancient people thought. So uh, that's that's me. So I'm still I'd still consider myself on a journey of some sort. What that might be is anyone's guess at this stage. And Dave. Hi, uh, I'm David, heretofore referred to as Dave in this podcast. Uh, I have a podcast called The Graceful Atheist, where I talk a lot about this subject, about what I call deconversion, uh, and what happens next. Uh, uh, so what I talk about is humanism with humanity in it, uh, secular grace, and uh, the recognition that though we no longer believe in a God, we still need awe, belonging, community, those kinds of things. Um, I think this podcast is really timely. We've had a series of very high-profile deconversions, and the uh, leadership of the Christian world is just all a flutter trying to figure out what that is. And I think they come up with uh, their hot take theory of the day, and hopefully, hopefully we can uh, give a actual response to that of why people do leave Christianity. Great. And uh, so just diving right in, we're going to be talking about uh, the subject, Exgens, what Christians who stay need to know about Christians 
who don't. I'm going to kick us off. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to, to limit my polemic outbursts today. This is, this is difficult for me, <laughs> but, um, but I'm going to give it a go because here's the thing. Today, I want to be heard by Christians in, in particular. Uh, now, atheists, I, I want you to hear this too. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but I'm, I'm talking to a group that I find hard to talk to um, because of where I come from. Uh, and I'm talking to a group who finds it hard to hear. Um, and, I, and I want to start by saying I understand why Christians find it hard to hear me. I get that. Um, I think when I was a Christian, I would have found it very hard to hear me too. And so to the extent uh, that I have made communication more difficult between myself and Christians, I take full responsibility for that. And I'm sorry. However, there are other components. There are other reasons why it's hard for them to hear me, why it's hard for Christians to hear us. One of the reasons is because there is a, I just said it then, just slipped up and said it, them. There's this them and us idea. There is no them. We are the same people. I mean, we are literally the same people. In some denominations, we are all still Christians, once saved, always saved. We can't unchristianize ourselves if we wanted to. But the point is, before we recognized that we were something other than a person of faith, we were in the pew next to you, singing the same songs, praying the same prayers, listening to the same sermons. We are the same people. We speak the same language. We are not a different creature. We have simply taken one step further in our faith journey than you have. And so I, I wish to try to bring down this barrier of, of us and them. Because you are my people. My parents are Christians. Most of the people that I have ever called friend in this world are Christians. If, if I needed a kidney, in my contact lists, the people I would call would be Christians. And I think the people who would respond would be Christians. We are the same people. And so I want to start breaking down that barrier that we are somehow wholly other. We are not the other. We are you. We are family. And somehow, uh, I, I wish, I hope, I would like to see some brand of reunification. Um, of course, we won't be talking reunification in the first hour or so. But I want you to know that that's on my mind. Uh, secondly, I understand some of the doctrinal barriers um, that separate us. I get it. And I know that those are hard to get by. But there's also an emotional barrier. And this was true when I was a Christian. If, if you accept that you and I are alike, 
then you must have a certain fear that if I could leave, you could leave. And if you listen to me tell you sincerely about what made me leave, then it might convince you to leave too. That's a very scary proposition. I understand that. So I know that most Christians who hear this podcast or who hear this introduction might turn it off. There may be fewer Christians who listen to this particular show than other shows that we do. But if you can, if you can hang on through this show, there's an olive branch here. I need to talk to you. We need to talk to you because I think that there are some things that Christians who stay in the church need to know about Christians who, who leave and you're given misinformation uh, and you're pushed to think in certain ways that simply aren't true to the situation. And I want to do my part to cut through some of that noise and see if we can't reconnect in healthier, more lasting ways. Matthew? Uh, no, uh, Dave? Yeah, so we've been looking at a few uh, articles that have been written lately, uh, one of which was uh, Clint Hecock's uh, uh, article about various ways that people wind up leaving the church. And I think it's be important here to just distinguish between uh, this concept of deconstruction uh, versus uh, deconversion, or or what David is calling ex-Christian. Uh, there, excuse me, are many ex-gen. 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 People. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, With apologies to the host. Unspoken <laughs> rule: never interrupt someone's opening comment. Never interrupt their closing comment. It's ex-gen. Right. <laughs> I'm better. I'm better. Go ahead. Uh, the the thing I think we want to acknowledge is there are many reasons that people begin the process of of uh, leaving the church or or letting go of faith, uh, and Clint's article in particular goes over a number of these that the the slow degradation of one's theology, uh, the letting go of of very strict uh, literal interpretations of the Bible, things of that nature. Uh, the, what often apologists accuse us of, of having uh, some hurt in our lives or being angry either at the church or at the God as we understood him at the time. But I think what you'll hear from this group of people is, is one step further than that, and that is the recognition that the core claims of Christianity and religion in general turned out to just not be true. We care deeply about truth. Uh, and in my case, I'm slightly different than the others here. I wasn't a full-blown Christian all of my life. I came to it in my teen years. And I came to it because I cared about truth. And I thought at the time that what I found in the, in the New Testament in particular and what the words of Jesus was truth. And it was that very same impetus toward truth that led me out, that I began to recognize that these core elements of of the story of Jesus, the story of Christianity, don't have valid evidence. And I, at one point then, came to the point where I had to admit to myself I could no longer believe. I couldn't keep the plates of faith spinning. 
Okay. Um, Matthew, Sarah, you want to follow up with anything? Um, you go first, Sarah. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, the the overriding thing, isn't it? We all set out on this journey. We all set out to, to look into it a bit more and were um, deeply committed to truth. And I remember just feeling more and more uneasy at the things I was discovering and uh, and realizing it was uh, built on some quite shaky things. And yet there's other people who go on that journey and they don't find that. So it does seem to be really um, quite random whether people are affected by what they find or, or not. Um, Apparently, a lot of the stuff we were discovering at the beginning, um, uh, they teach in seminary schools and, you know, people carry on and then become pastors or whatever after it. So for some people, it's obviously not an issue. And for others, it is. And um, ultimately, that's what what made me realize that I thought, well, if it's that random, um, then it, it can't be true. Because, you know, if everybody set off on the same path, it would be convincing to everyone really at the end of the day. And if the fact that it can just be that random and you can fall either side of the fence or in the middle or something just anywhere, um, I just figured it, it just that, that that itself was the, de- the defeater for it, really. So, uh, um, but yeah, it's a process and it takes a while to get to, to get through it. And so, and we do tend to be a little bit cynical sometimes when we look back. I think we're um, poking fun at our previous selves in some ways and so uh, I think people sometimes find us a little bit offensive or we can rub them up the wrong way or we can uh, reduce, we can make little quips back that are a little bit um, reductionist and um, but I think I think that all comes from a place where we're we're still dealing with uh, who we were and how we're adapting to our the new the new paradigm we find ourselves into Matthew? Yeah there's something I'd like to speak to um, directly on on this subject, and um, and and that's the relationship between uh, a believer's faith and uh, their their personality. Because uh, I've I've done this myself, not not intentionally, and I, I see and I know it happens a lot. Is uh, we, as in non-believers, uh, exes, uh, the deconstructed, whatever label you want to give us, X-gen. we will say, X-gen. we will say, so why can't this happen? Oh, it's it's because we like the sound of your interruptions, David. That's what it is. Yes, we will we will say things that are critical of our former belief. Uh, and we'll we'll say those things freely, uh, and we'll say those things w- without uh, uh, any second thoughts whatsoever. And sometimes we'll say something that's just so so tu- so touching um, that uh, a believer will, will a Christian will respond extremely negative to that, as though they themselves were insulted, and it's. Uh, a non-separation of the criticism of the thing and the criticism of the person, and that is the nature of something that is held as a as a deep belief. And I want to say to to Christians, please do try to to acknowledge that separation when we say something about Christianity that has been harmful, that has either hurt us in the past or hurt those we love in the past or something that we cannot accept because it is fundamentally wrong. Um, Easy example, young earth creationism. We're criticizing the 
the inaccuracy of the uh, belief. We're not criticizing the character of the person. And my my plea here is is to Christians who listen to this and listen to dialogue between Christians and atheists. Please do try to see the difference between those things. I understand it and I get it that sometimes that separation is genuinely difficult. And I've had been been in Twitter conversations, one only this week, where exactly that kind of thing uh, was happening. If you can see that distinction, it helps the conversation and it helps you and us to become less of you and us and become the one people having a, a conversation and, and sharing ideas. So that is my my plea uh, directly to Christians. And to back that up, the other thing that I want to say is when we as former Christians deconstruct, go extian, uh, go go full fat metal, however you want to describe it. We do not necess- We do not drop that word. We do not change our opinion of you as individuals. We do not suddenly think that you are stupid. And I, the reason why I bring that up, it was one of the first things that somebody who's close to me asked me when when I started telling my friends and, and, and people uh, that, that have known me for years that this was my, now my, my status, one of them did say to me, Is, do you now think I'm stupid? Do you look down your nose at, uh, at me? And, and the answer was absolutely no. And I would like to say the same is true of of you as Christians, we don't think you're suddenly much less intelligent. We don't think you're suddenly really, really stupid. We're not being pompous and looking down our noses at you. And sometimes when we have discussions which go into the nitty gritty of, of religion and we're, we're sparring and possibly having quite uh, unhelpful exchanges of comments about fundamental things we disagree with it can come across as though these are the attitudes that we we hold towards you and i want to to bust that that myth people who are very very intelligent can be wrong about something so don't see that as an insult because that's true for us as well as it is for for anybody else just see it as a way of trying to engage and trying to get at truth see it as intelligent people having a conversation over the nature of reality so I appreciate you saying that, and that um, really launches me into what I what I hope will be the first part of this discussion. Um, it is hard to separate your feelings about the doctrine or the tradition or even uh, the Bible from the people who teach it, and uh, from the people who taught it, and from the people who are very vocal. Uh, about it, um, and I, I struggle with that, uh, Matthew. I'll, I'll just be honest. I I have to work on that every day. Uh, so, for instance, um, just as an example, if if I met a person uh, who callously told me that they thought it was perfectly within their rights uh, to kill their child if their child displeased them. I don't think I could be friends with that person if I if I believe them. You know, that's that's a thing that I I don't think I can get past that. And yet when a person um and I get this probably more often than most people, uh when a Christian tells me that they would kill their kid uh because their God told them to, 
I don't know how to look at them any differently. It's it's that's kind of a deal breaker. And I I have to I have to just tell myself or convince myself somehow that that person doesn't mean what they say. Because if I thought that they meant it, then it's 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 really hard to separate that declaration from the person. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, so, whereas I I agree with your sentiment strongly, I don't know how to put that in action any more than the Christian knows how to get over some of. Uh, what they see uh, as deal breakers, and so I, I think before before launching um, into the first area of discussion, I think I just want to touch on that for a moment because I, I want to recognize that just as I have some barriers that are hard for me to get past, I understand that Christians have some barriers that are hard for them to get past, and uh, they are largely biblical. And so if you guys will indulge me and allow me to read a couple of passages um, that are germane to this. Um, in fact, uh, does anyone have the blog pulled up uh, that uh, that I have written? Anyone anyone looking at that by chance? I have. I've got the email in front of me, okay. yeah. if that's what you mean, the latest one that you sent. Yeah, great. So... Uh, Matthew Romans one. Okay, oh, yeah. Sarah, would you would you read the Romans one? Actually, would you just read them both? Because you've got this great kind of French British Heinz fifty seven voice. I don't know how to place it, but uh, careful, I, I down we, boy, down. I wish we could bottle it. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, Romans one eighteen to nineteen. God, it's a long time since I've read a chapter like that. Uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness, because what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Okay, so just just pausing right there. This is one of these passages that uh, when I was a young Christian, uh, I believed, I, I lived by, I did much of my uh, ministry by. Um, so I was, I was one of the worst offenders, but I do get it because what you were thinking in the back of your mind when you talk to people is everybody knows there's a God. If, if your Bible is true, if Paul is not a fool and what Christian can say that he was, then you have to believe that everybody knows that there's a God because what can be known of God is plain to everybody. It's obvious. And so the only reason someone would claim to not know about God is that they are suppressing the truth for the sake of unrighteousness. It is an intentional thing. I get it. So uh, when people tell me uh, or, or, or press me about my story, trying to f- figure out uh, the flaws. They, they accuse me of lying. I understand it. I get it. Because you have this in the back of your mind. Uh, would you, uh, Sarah, would you read the other one? Um, yeah, I mean, and just on that, really, it's it's your kind of um, brought up to believe or, you know, indoctrinated with the fact there's only three categories of people. There's those that don't know yet. There's those that know and believe. And there's those that know and reject. That's it. There's no other category. Right. So uh, you've got you got those three to choose from. So those who, who know and believe cannot understand that somebody could uh, could not know and uh, and has decided to reject it. They just uh, that's the only thing they can assume you've done you have rejected it it's not that you've found it lacking in 
in uh, evidence. It's just that you've you've turned your back on it. So anyway, Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 um, is, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the miracles of the coming age, and then have committed apostasy to renew them again to repentance, since they are crucifying the Son of God for themselves all over again and holding him up to contempt. Ouch. So, so for, yeah. So for me, this is one of the, I, I would say it's the second scariest passage uh, in the whole Bible. Ask me about the first scariest some other time. Um, this one, though, I, I tell you, it, it, it gave me the creeps from the first time I read it as a kid, and I never was comfortable with it. Uh, throughout my time as a Christian, uh, for the first few words of it, it is impossible. It is impossible. Whatever follows that, right? Um, you you just hope that you never end up in that category. It is impossible. Um, it is impossible uh, for the person who has committed apostasy to renew them again to repentance. Why even bother trying? It's impossible. Uh, for someone who um, was once enlightened, that would be all of us here, who's, who's tasted the heavenly gift. We, we can pretend that we know uh, what that means and uh, say that would be all of us who have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. I think that all of us would say at one time that we were partakers of the Holy Spirit. That would be all of us who have tasted the good word of God and the miracles of the coming age. I don't know that I can say I've tasted any miracles of the coming age, but I do think, yeah, I do. I do think (laughs) that this, that this paragraph, this run on sentence, um, does apply to all of us. Uh, And so to renew us again to repentance, it is impossible. Since they are crucifying the Son of God all over again. I don't know know where to go with that, you know? If, If you as a Christian look at me uh, and and see me as driving nails in in the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't. I understand why you have trouble uh, hearing me. I get it. How do we How do we get past that? They they do to some extent because they do let you kind of fall away and come back. You know they don't they love a lost sheep that comes back type story. I mean they've got the prodigal yeah. son and and that kind of thing. So they on the one hand they do accept it, and yet on the other hand that that verse is pretty is pretty scary because it's just you know and and it terrifies you when you're in there because you're like I can't lose my faith not even for a moment because that would be even if you have a few doubts for a little bit sometimes you used to wonder is that it if I actually uh, deconverted and I'm having to recommit myself because you do a lot of recommitments when you're younger don't you because you never know whether last week's was genuinely good enough or not so um, you uh, you tend to and even that you think oh my god I'm doing uh, I'm uh, crucifying God all over again so uh, 
It's a, yeah, it's a scary, but you don't need to worry. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. I don't think it really matters. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you're digging the ditch deeper, Sarah. <laughs> I know. Well, that's how you get around these things, isn't it? That's how they start saying you. Then you discover you, nobody knows who wrote Hebrews, and you're like, who what? <laughs> oh, dear. Right. So but it's, it, it is a good point, though, that Sarah is making here is that, that you know, the Bible is con- contradicted itself all over the place. Uh, you may have been around Christians that were very legalistic, or you've been around Christians who are very, very graceful, and yet you can find the verses to back any of those things up. So I constantly have believers that are they're trying to woo me back to Christianity, but clearly they're not reading their Hebrews. I honestly don't believe that Christians read their Bible. And so the fact that they, they are trying to woo you back, I think that just means that they have never wandered into Hebrews very much. <laughs> but, um, sure. So, true. But Matthew, do you, under, do you understand what I'm saying about the barrier, though? I mean, you, you have made a very passionate, passionate plea uh, that we try to separate uh, the argument from the the people uh, that what we might hate is the theology or the the results of indoctrination or brainwashing or the religion, but not the people. And you would hope that that's vice versa. But you under you can understand from both sides how there are barriers. Um, there are barriers, and I don't know yes. how to get around them. What what say you? I I understand absolutely that there are barriers, and I. I I don't have the, that that bucket of wisdom uh, that is that is necessary to be able to to clear all of it. I mean, the most simple one which I run into, and I'm sure all four of us have run into several times, is that you are never a true believer because the Bible clearly says this, that, and the other, and you try to say to the to the person who said that uh, quite calmly and succinctly. But I did. When I was a believer, you wouldn't have known the difference. You would never have looked at me and said, that person's not really a believer. And yet here I am. And surely, and I've used this argument, I said, before you carry on down that road, just take a pause and just look at, at the sheer number of people who have fallen away. Are you really that sure that such a large proportion of people who are Christians 20 years ago are now no longer Christians. Are you really that sure that the message is so bad at settling that those people never really get it? Or is there something else going on? And they will not budge from their position. Um, no matter how hard I've I've tried to, to reason. So I very, very rarely try to be reasonable to, to that kind of call. So i I genuinely get the the problem and sometimes reason doesn't fall and you know when when you're, you're in order to have a constructive dialogue between two people both people need to at least make an effort to take a standpoint that's reasonable and if you're going to declare that somebody who like like us who was never a true believer in the first place. And if you're not prepared to move from that stake or not prepared to have a conversation beyond that stake, then you're being unreasonable. You, um, you need the, the only way to get past this barrier is to, to look at the positions that we're taking and say, okay, 
I have a very firm position here. I can justify this position. But let me just for a moment let go of it and just try to engage and understand the other person's point of view. And, and us as atheists need to do the same the other around if, we're, if we've planted a stake and we won't let go of it. So that's my plea to that. And I know that there are so, so many Christians out there who, who plant that stake of n- never a, a proper believer. But we were there I, too, Matthew, weren't yes, we? Yes, we were I, I, I was once one of those believers holding on onto that stake at, at one point in my life. Mm. I, I absolutely hold my hand up to that. And it was painful letting go of it. I will also uh, acknowledge that. But I think it's really important to, to do that. If, if we're going to get anywhere in these conversations, those things that we plant hold and plant firm to, regardless of what they are, we need to just let it go for a bit and just try to understand what the other person's point of view is. If we go back to it, okay, we've gone back to it, but at least give it a go. And I, I don't know what to say more than that, uh, David. I hope that helps. Well, it, it does. And, well, I, I will be working on it because I, to my Christian listeners, I have as much to work on as far as bridging some of those barriers as you do. Um, but I am trying. Uh, this is this is an effort to do that. And, it, and also in that effort, I would say that we really need to understand each other's uh, emotional state, too. Uh, and so in that, I want to kind of introduce this kind of delicate topic, which is our emotional state. This is not in my notes, so um, mm-hmm. they did not know that I was going to say this. Um, but You're going all Dr. Phil on us. Is this a therapy <laughs> session? <laughs> well, how's that working out for you? Um, so, the, yeah, I think the emotional state is very important. And this is a thing that um, one of the things that I need Christians to hear. Now, I'm not going to make this podcast terribly autobiographical, but at this point, I think it's I think it's fair that we be a little bit honest because we have said um, through some of our comments that, you know, it's not that we were um, angry or or what have you. But I've got to I've got to tell you, there is some anger and I, I can confess to some anger and I and I hopefully can coax my co-hosts to confess to some anger too as i don't think it's humanly possible to not have some anger that doesn't mean that you're an angry atheist because you have some anger but there are some things that you should be angry at uh i've been conned before by by con men who were better than me um I, I say that I've I've been in sales professionally for a lot of my professional life, <laughs> and uh, some of that is highly manipulative, uh, if you might say. Uh, but we we grow a pretty thick skin, uh, those of us in the sales business, and um, we also uh, develop a really good BS detector. And so when one of us gets conned. <laughs> It's, mm. it's, um, we take it personally. Uh, and so, um, and by the way, there's a difference between con artistry and sales. They're cousins, uh, but they are, they are, um, different. And I can tell you, uh, that the last time I was conned by someone, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm above it, that it can't happen to me. It can happen to me. I can get tricked. It it pissed me off for a long time. I'm not over it now 
Uh, I don't think I'm going to get over it. Uh, it's it's not the kind of thing I'm going to forget uh, anytime uh, soon. But what, you know, everyone I think has had the experience of being conned. Maybe not everyone has the experience of realizing they've been conned. But <laughs> you know, once you realize that you've been taken, you are righteously, c- correctly pissed off. You you have a reason to be angry. Um, and even though I have not been a part of what people would properly call the occult, I would imagine that people who have been sucked into cults uh, through no fault of their own, when they have finally been liberated, if they are lucky enough to have been, are angry. They have some things to be angry. It doesn't mean they spend their whole life in a, in a white rage. But there are some things that, when you think back on it, really do uh, set you off. And so I just want to be honest that a part of being an exgen is facing some of that uh, emotional baggage. And so I'll just I'll just get started uh, by saying uh, one thing that makes me angry um, about about Christianity. And so when I when I talk, when I get in heated debates, I might get mad. It's it's temporary. It's just conversational angry anger. I'm not really mad at you. Well, unless I am. But um, I I would say that one of the things that really uh, when I look back on it and I, I feel like there's maybe a, a little bit of a raw exposed nerve um, is. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get a little personal here. Um, I am doing my dead level best every day to get over casual misogyny. Um, I, I, I'm a man of a certain age, uh, a man of a certain generation who comes from a, a certain place. Uh, and in the very conservative Bible Belt, Southern United States, uh, there is still a very throwback um, way of looking at gender issues. And in in that place, uh, men are still superior and women are still subordinate. And even though they may use that language a little less... It's still true. And it's going to be true there for another hundred years at least. It's so ingrained in the culture. You're never going to clean it all out. I grew up in that. I grew up viewing male-female relationships in a certain way. And it affects me to this day. It affects every piece of my life. Uh, I've been married three times it's my fault I get that I'm an ass but it took some doing to get there you know I grew up in ass hattery and I just didn't understand my place in the world uh, as it relates to a woman's place in the world. And I didn't, I didn't understand any of that. Everything that I knew and thought I knew about men and women came from the church. And I feel like the church has forever fucked me up. 
and I'm not sorry for using that language here, but I, as hard as I try to change, as hard as I try to fight it, I catch myself in certain thought patterns that I cannot do anything about. I can't fix it. And I'm angry about that. I am never going to be right in the head when it comes to that. And, and that is something I lay at the feet of religion. And that's, that, that anger over that is never going to go away. And that is, that is probably one of the milder things that I'm angry about. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to Dave. I haven't heard you uh, in a while, Dave. I know that you're graceful. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to dig deeper than that and find the raw nerves. What are you angry about? Absolutely. I, I think I can tie in both what Matthew talked about and what you talked about, David, uh, in that uh, I think in the early days, especially with the people who I love the most, the thing that hurt me and made me the most angry is that they could not, they started to say, you weren't really a Christian. And I was, and I think I was deeply hurt by that and got very defensive and I would get, I would get angry. Uh, and I think that over time, I was able to let that particular thing go uh, as, as I recognized that this is really the last level of defense mechanism. If, if I, the way that I practice Christianity, uh, walked away and could no longer believe, then they could. And so by admitting that, that I was really a Christian – that says something deeply dangerous about their own faith, and they're just protecting themselves. And so I could recognize it from, from a human level. Today, the things that make me really angry are the apologists. I say often that I, I really don't – I'm not really angry at Christians. If you're a believer in the pew and you believe by faith alone, I can't follow you there, but I'm not angry at you. Uh, but the apologists who are repeating – arguments that are literally hundreds and hundreds of years old that have been refuted for hundreds and hundreds of years, <laughs> repeating bad arguments over and over again with the level of certainty that they do. I'm angry. I'm angry at apologists. I, I find that really upsetting. And uh, more on topic for our conversation today, these recent high-profile deconversions, there's been several prominent worship leaders or Christian musicians, and then recently two YouTubers named Link and Rhett who deconverted. And watching the apologists Let's explain away... Falau, uh, the footballer. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And watching apologists explain away how they they weren't real Christians and they have poor reasons for, for walking away, I'm angry at that. And I can't, I can't get over it. <laughs> it really, really upsets me. And so, you know, what I try to do for, you know, people that I actually know in real life is recognize, you know, I'm a humanist. We are human beings and try to find the set of values that we share. I talked earlier about caring about truth uh, and just really trying to focus on those things, caring about loving each other, caring about grace, for lack of a better word, uh, and and working that out with the people that uh, again, that I know face to face, uh, and then how that works out to my public persona and out on Twitter, uh, who, who knows? There are definitely days when, when I can be deeply angry. Hey, Sarah, mm -hmm. I'm going to hold you, uh, for last because I know you got some, some feels, uh, 
<laughs> I keep that well under wraps. You should know that. British phlegmatic upper lip. Um, yeah, you can. I think the, the one. Be, thing before you set. before you go, I want to I want to hear uh, Matthew. Who? Oh, okay. uh, yeah, Matthew. What's what? You got any anger? <laughs> you got any? I get angry at the same thing that uh, Dave has just described. Uh, actually, um, but. <laughs> I've I've been uh, deconstructed for for so long now. I I don't really get angry the way I do. I get get passionate about the message, and I get passionate about be passionate about being understood. And there are certain subjects that I get excited and passionate about. You know, science, uh, be you know, sciencey stuff. Yeah, astronomy and uh, uh, biology, those, those kinds of things, they, they get me excited and passionate. And I, I don't know, I don't so much get get angry uh, in conversation about those, other than I, I get impatient with uh, a refusal to understand. That 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 is probably more that I get, but. Talking specifically about anger and about the stages of um, of, of uh, deconstruction, I was there was a lot of um, inward anger uh, when I was uh, deconstructed. And I went through various stages of that. So this wasn't outwards about other people. This was um, when I eventually reached the point where I could accept that uh, belief was was no longer a feature of my my personality and that I could no longer uh, call myself a Christian because I just didn't meet any other criteria there was um you know there was relief quickly followed by how could I be taken in followed by shame followed by anger or the people that uh, were responsible for me uh, being taken in so there was a lot, a lot of that, and I, I carried a fair amount of shame and anger for possibly a couple of years uh, over that, and I took that out uh, in my, my online conversations, etc. And I think that stage of deconstruction takes some time to get through, and I think a lot of Christians see that kind of atheist quite a lot. Uh, because those kinds of people are are very motivated in, in their frustration. And there's a, a lot of emotion behind uh, what they're what what they're pushing out, and I I was guilty of that myself. Now <laughs> I, I'm I'm chilled about it. I wear my my past shame as, as a as a badge of honor. Hey, I was a young Earth creationism. Hey, let's laugh at that because that's all that you can do to it. You know, the the shame and the anger just doesn't exist uh, anymore. So I get a lot less angry than than I did uh, only three years ago. This is mm. why I wanted to wrap it up with someone who is seething with anger. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you go through phases, don't you? I mean, the first one was utter shock, disbelief, uh, sadness, uh, just freaked out by the fact your entire world's collapsed. Um, but, uh, and you know, when when you suddenly start to try and form a view and, um, and, and keep 
digging around and interacting with Christians and things, you know, we're talking about things that relate to identity. It's not just our politics or where we prefer to go on holidays. It's, it's our entire identity, isn't it, when we're talking about these things. So um, no wonder people do lose it a little bit, especially online, where which is, let's be honest, not well known for being kind of moderate and where tone gets lost and things. But um, what's uh, the way we moved probably on those points was some storytelling um, from other people. That's what bypasses all the logic. So, you know, Matt, you were saying, you know, once you've explained to them, I was a Christian and I was this and that and the other, they they can't, they can't necessarily move from that point because it's an emotional reaction. Whereas, um, and you're not going to get through that with logic. So to bypass the emotion, you have to go through through storytelling and just sort of saying, this is what happened to me. And, and then people's barriers come down and they might listen and they might say, okay, you seem reasonable and you seem like you did really try it. Um, and they might have a bit more empathy for you so you can make that connection. And, and that's the things that got me out. That was the things that made me realize, um, you know, meeting Jehovah's Witnesses who were just as um, uh, committed and sincere as I was. And, and it just sort of destabilized me a little bit. So when people start telling you their stories, that's that's really one way of getting out. But you do go through various phases of anger. I mean, um, you know, I'm angry at the way it, it colored my view of the world, um, how you view people as other. You know, you just saw people as saved, unsaved, you know, as those going to the hell um there's purity culture that can get me quite worked up if i <laughs> go there um the less said the better about that um and the missed opportunities um so because you've got this view of eternity there was no kind of major impulse to do a lot of things uh, and i probably did waste some some opportunities i'm pretty pissed about those things um the fact it kind of denies your humanity you're just these vessels for god you just none of it kind of you just we're just humans we're just doing the best we can um and so you know i, I am angry about some of the the world view that it's uh it's colored but then on the upside i try and think well the deconversion process has painful and as bad as it is at the time it really makes you grow as a person and um you know it broadens your view so much that uh i don't know it's kind of it's a good thing in the end um and i don't regret it and the other side is is truly worthwhile so um i'm pretty i'm and also if you speak to more moderate christians and more progressive christians there isn't much to get annoyed about actually views are very similar they just put a name on on humanism and love and things like that they call it god whereas we might not put those labels on it so and the the differences are very we're all after the same thing really just um human flourishing and uh bettering bettering everybody's life so there's not that much to get annoyed with what does what is annoying is the fundy person that's just you know full on uh yeah young earth creationist who just sees yeah all, all the things we don't like and anybody who starts a sentence with the bible is very clear about <laughs> that just makes me flip because whoever says that you'll find 30 people behind saying no 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 the bible is very clear that and you'd get all these massive differences like calvinism and armenianism where you both can't be right so you know the bible clearly doesn't say anything clearly um never use those words do not put them into a sentence they do not happen because the more you dig the more you realize it is anything but clear and there is a myriad of views so that really grinds my gears that one but um apart from that i'm glad to hear it it gets a bit easier as you go along i do think yeah it goes through phases and i think i'm entering into a um yeah 
starting to mellow out a bit more about these things. But initially, you do want to test it back and and also poke fun at your old self. I'm sure it's, there's something about that. You when you yeah. get a when you get one on the line, and you're like, this is how I used to believe. I'm going to reel them in with these things that kind of you know shocked me at first and you give a little try to see how your views pan out and maybe they throw something back or maybe they don't and um it's kind of fun it's kind of a little bit of fun as well so uh, um yeah it's a funny old journey i think we can say that one of the one of the things that christians need to know uh about those of us who left is that we do even if it's kept in check have some anger We've got some feels that's it's not fair to say that we are angry generally, but but there are some things that have uh, hurt us deeply and that that we have to now deal with because of our time uh, there. And it, it it's not even to say whether you think that our anger is justified or not, um, but we do have some. Okay, this is not a casual thing, and I think that leads to the second the second thing that it's important for you to know about us is that walking away is really hard. Now, it may Mm -hmm. not be hard for everybody. Uh, Granted, you know, someone who comes uh, to the church as an adult hangs around for a few months and leaves. That's that's probably not all that hard. You know, maybe they didn't maybe they didn't show up every week anyway. They were just kind of halfway there. You know, for that person walking away, maybe not so devastating. But if you've been a lifer and were ingrained into the life of the church at all, leaving it is very very difficult. And I think one of the things that um well, maybe makes me angry is uh, when Christians underestimate how difficult this journey has been. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking of one in mind in particular. I'm not just <laughs> I'm not going to say the name, <laughs> but but uh, it, it that really uh, tears at me because for for some of us, for many of us, uh, acknowledging to yourself in the quiet of your closet that you no longer believe in God is gut-wrenching. Yeah. Terrifying as well. Absolutely. And we didn't we didn't want to leave. I think that's such a misconception that, you know, we wanted to get out and to do our own thing and it's like most of us, many of us left kicking and screaming. We we wanted to believe and we just couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that is actually one thing that makes me me cross. Is and uh, there was a blog post uh, that uh, specifically uh, drew attention to that to me, and that was in response to Retin Link that you mentioned uh, earlier, Dave. I ridiculously stupid of me went and searched for responses to, to <laughs> Retin Link, and um, I yes. found a blog called um from a from a i don't know what christian organization it was i, I don't even care to name it um it was called uh, deconstructing a deconstruction and i read through that and the whole article was applying motives and reasoning to retin link which they had already explicitly denied or addressed in their whole item about coming out and addressing some of the criticisms 
that that they've got. And it was like the person writing this just hadn't even listened to them, hadn't even paid attention to what they'd said and just gone, my theology says it must be this. So that's what I'm going to write an article about. And I'm going to apply all of this, this to them. No, you've got your theology wrong. If your theology cannot apply and cannot make sense of the reasons that other people are are leaving, then your theology is wrong. Deal with it and fix it. But you do not make it right by applying motives that fit your theology onto people when those motives don't work for them. But they have fix to. It. They have to. Otherwise, they they know that it could happen to them. All the fact, you know, it's the, the yeah. usual convenient one is you just wanted to sin more. You just wanted to rebel. And it's like, I that never didn't understood cross, that. What, what that does never that crossed mean? my mind. I was sinning Why? just fine when I was a Christian. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there was plenty to go around as it was. That. It was fine. Yes, quite. I, I, you know, this is an interesting point, though. I think both in what you're describing there, David, and what Rhett and Link uh, went through as well is that when we describe our deconversion process, we often are very honest. We're honest about our human foibles. We're honest about things that we would have called sin when we were a believer. And then that honesty gets used against us when in fact, all human beings, Christian, Muslim, or otherwise have all of these same, uh, issues, whether, whether you call it sin or not. Uh, and it, it is in fact, the honesty of being able to say, Hey, you know, this is a part of my personality. This is something I like, or this is something that that uh, is frowned upon, but you know, something that I get off on. <laughs> you know, just that kind of honesty is not present inside the church, and so when we come out and just and we're just open about things, that's used against us. Mm. And the other thing is the um, the acceptance of. Um, the, uh, the the prodigal in, in Christianity is not motivating to leave Christianity. There are high-profile Christians who've spent time in jail for for unpleasant crimes, crimes that would normally cause them to be utterly utterly rejected by friends and family, and the Christian community welcomes them back with open arms uh, as soon as they make a, a verbal confession. It is easy to stay in Christianity and to be sinful and to remain accepted uh, by your Christian brothers and sisters. Leaving because you can't accept it is much, much harder. The whole, oh, you j we're left just because you wanted sin, just simply does not work. My life would have been so much better if I'd gone, yeah, I want to sin, go out and sin, but I carry on believing anyway. If I truly believed and I wanted to sin, then I would sin and stay as a practicing Christian because it is such an easy path to do that. And you can just that. ask for forgiveness. You can quietly mm, yeah. ask for forgiveness. You can sin all you like. I mean, the, the path for wanting to sin is to stay quiet and remain a Christian. Yeah. Mm. There is yeah. somebody who I... Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to rethink I'm going to phrase that there was somebody I know of who went to jail because as an old man somebody uh, accused him of historical uh, sexual abuse and he straight up uh, confessed and said 
yeah, it was a bad time for me. I was in a bad place then. It wasn't justifiable. I did what I'm a, a, a accused of. That's not how I am now. And he went to jail for it. He was at that time that the accusation came out. He was part of a church uh, and he, he was do, doing stuff uh, in the church. And I'm fully prepared to accept that, you know, in the 50 years since uh, that incident happened, that he'd sorted himself out and it wasn't and he wasn't a danger to to people like that anymore. I'm, I'm prepared to to accept that. But he still did the crime. It came out and he went to prison for it. There were people in that church who lived in denial of his guilt because he was such a nice man. That's how easy it is to remain in faith, to remain an active person in a church and sin. Well, that was heavy. Um, yeah. Sorry, that wasn't intentional, <laughs> sorry, sorry. but I just, it, it was just perfect to prove the point I was trying to make. Right. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And I, 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 I want to wrap this up by saying um, the reason it's so difficult. I mean, Christians here are saying, ah, oh, it's so difficult, it's so difficult. And they, they say, why? Why, why is it so difficult? You're, you're, you're out. That's what you wanted, right? Uh, no, you don't, I don't think you're quite doing the calculus of what it means to be a lifelong or a longtime Christian who believes all of the things and then who finds themselves not believing it. It's not just some intellectual process that you, that you hold in a bucket separate from the rest of your life. And then you decide one day to get rid of that bucket and leave the rest of your life untouched. It is it deeply intertwines every part of your personhood. So uh, I uh, mentioned earlier uh, my my relationships with women. The very I, the the very way I think about men and women is colored deeply by theology. Uh, the, what happens all of a sudden when you don't believe that your theology is true anymore? You can't just turn on a dime and and fix all of that. <laughs> you, you know that's it, that's not possible. And maybe you know you felt a certain way about homosexuality and people who uh, practiced homosexuality as a Christian. What happens all of a sudden? When you realize, no, I don't, I don't think I do believe that anymore. Are you all of a sudden uh, open to everyone in their perversions that you were willing to pick up stones for and stone them, you know, just a few days ago? No, that's mm -hmm. that's very hard to untangle. Um, you may have voted as a conservative Republican if you're in the states. I don't. Do other parts of the world have politics? Anyway, you may have you may have uh, practiced your politics a certain way before, and, and once your faith is gone, now what does that even mean? What what do the politics mean now? How how are you supposed to think about that? Um, you know, from charity, from your, the choices that you make at work, every aspect of your life is turned on its head. It's new all over again. This is virgin territory. It's a, it's a whole other country that you've got to try to navigate all of a sudden. It's 
desperately hard. And that doesn't even touch on the relationships that you had that were dependent on you being a part of a faith community that you're no longer a part of anymore. It's really, really hard to make that change. Yeah, we talk a lot about deconversion, but we don't talk about the reconstruction that you have to do behind behind it. Do you? It's quite it's quite true. We have you have to find our good arguments for the moral argument, or you know why we might be here, or how it all works, and what the point of life is. And you, it, they are all the kind of deep questions of life that you have to re-examine all over again, completely ill-equipped. Uh, whereas your peers who haven't been through some sort of indoctrination are sort of <laughs> a lot more. Uh, uh, a lot more along the journey than you and you have to kind of catch up a bit so but it's worth it the uh, the world is a more beautiful place as a result strangely enough which wasn't supposed to happen either but never mind did any of you guys go to bed uh, at night petrified that the next morning you would you'd wake up with an overwhelming desire to go out murdering no <laughs> no. no no that wasn't a particular one <laughs> yeah I, no, I, I do I as did... much rape, plunder, and pillage as I want to, which is to say I don't do any. It's surround number, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I, I must confess that there are times when I'm curious as to how babies taste. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Nice. Well, nice. They're quite nice. Powdery. Powdery. I, but did anybody have – did anybody have – I went through a period, and I still go through it now, that it's, it's so second nature that I almost don't believe I don't believe. I just I find it even hard now to believe to think I'm an ex. I'm an exer. Um, I, it's almost like I can't quite get my head around the fact I've – but I certainly for the beginning when I went through the shock stage and the, and the completely, I can't believe this is this – is, I'm finding out these inf- bits of information about it. Um, I, I couldn't get my head around the fact that I didn't believe I had to go over the material, like almost like post-traumatic stress over and over again to say, all right, I know this and this and this, and I've concluded that. Let's move on. But the next day I'd have to go over it again and think, it's just I got stuck in a rut. And it was uh, it was just the familiarity of it was so, so entrenched that you were like, I can't believe I don't believe. I'd almost, my reflexes are still there to, to act and think that way. It was a long um, time before I could call myself an atheist out loud or in mm-hmm. writing the the word even now i cringe when i say it or when i write it mm-hmm. um and i have to fight against that because it's a perfectly good word that that has been hijacked um and it 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 means something ugly now but it's a perfectly good word and i want to do my part to reclaim it but i i must say it's it's hard to use that word and describe myself uh, as an atheist, mm-hmm. even now, I wonder if that's part of uh, culture in uh, in America because I I never had that issue with with the word, and I adopted it pretty much straight away. And I hear people talk about. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson specifically, he says he doesn't like the word because of the commentations with it. But I don't get that. I I th- and I think it's because of. Being in the UK, we we have a completely different attitude towards atheists and uh, atheism, and it, I just don't have that reaction to it at all. What I do find uh, interesting, though, I, uh, to answer what your your question, Sarah, I I didn't have that, but what I did find is um, I had a very negative reaction to to worship songs and, and music. So I used to consume. Uh, 
worship songs a lot uh, at home when I was in the car and I used to enjoy uh, singing albeit very badly uh, in church. So I had a very anti-reaction to those and uh, and you know, looking at all the MP3 files on my hard disk and you know my Christian music collection is you know, practically the same size as my secular music collection, although I've done made some effort to redress that now. Uh, but yeah, listening to the music was... I had an extraordinarily negative reaction uh, to that. Um, Were you listening to it once you'd deconverted? No, I hadn't, but, you know, I've got Christians at home, so sometimes it would be played, you know, or I would um, uh, just play one and and see, see, and just test what my reaction was. was Really, (laughs) really negative. Because there are some some bands which I really, really liked, you know, uh, the Worldwide Message Tribe, I was really... uh, into and Petra I was uh, really into really played their music an awful lot and I know an awful lot of their songs uh, by heart so going back and listening to those songs became really really difficult so I had to mm-hmm. find new new bands to listen to and going to church again I couldn't sing I would just stand there not moving my lips because it was a, an extremely negative reaction and the standing uh, for the songs was just something I I had to endure and get through and now I'm through all that and so uh, you know I go to church every now and then uh, with the family but it's not a, t- a habitual thing by any stretch of the imagination it might only be I might not even go between Christmases and but now I'm past all that and going at Christmas I'll suddenly find myself absentmindedly singing the carols because I still know them all <laughs> completely off by heart and and I'll suddenly check myself and go oh I was a little bit too enthusiastic about that one better <laughs> dial it down a bit but it doesn't have the negative reaction that it, it did uh, a few years ago yeah, guilty pleasure mm-hmm. I still like Striper <laughs> really? <laughs> what about half man half biscuit no. <laughs> um, so uh, let's let's try to get through through some of the some of the highlights uh, here, I don't want to. We have a whole part two to deal with, um, but I, I do want to kind of um, move toward uh, giving some reasons, speculations, if you will, uh, for why it is uh, we leave, not just we us, but why so many Christians leave. Um, you know, when I was a Christian, there was, of course, only one reason, you know, they they were sinful, but on, on this side of it, you know, sinful just doesn't explain the phenomenon well enough. Even, even for a Christian, it shouldn't explain the phenomenon very well, uh, because of passages such as greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Um, I, I don't want to get too theological here. This is, it's my hobby horse. Um, but what what I'm saying is, even if 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 you're very familiar with your Bible, uh, the easy answers uh, that we've talked about before shouldn't settle well with you. Um, they're they're not actually terribly biblically sound when compared to say some of the other other things that the Bible has to say. Uh, but I do want to provide some of my speculation because I did spend some time when I was um, when I was a, a preacher working on uh, this very idea of why why is it that people leave? Because, of course, I had to be concerned with, um, you know, the members of my church, you know, uh, the the youth. I wanted to make sure that the youth uh, transitioned from 
um, you know, youth church to full grown up church and, you know, people who are freshly baptized. I wanted to, you know, I was concerned about making sure that we retained that person and making them a strong Christian. And so naturally I had to be uh, concerned about, you know, when people did drop off the the roles, why, Uh, what was going on? And I tried to get inside of that a little bit. Uh, And so this, some of this may be useful uh, for Christians to hear. I think that uh, the first thing that I would just mention briefly, I'm I'm not going to make a meal out of this, is just religious abuse is real. It's just, it's a real thing. And I have heard many times Christians kind of either mockingly or dismissively saying, well, you know, you just left because, uh, you know, the church was mean to you. You know, somebody, some, you had some bad experience. Guess what? Having a bad experience in a church is is a good reason to leave. And I think that you underestimate and downplay just how bad some of those bad experiences can be. Panel? I'd like to ask uh, Dave a uh, question exact- specifically uh, on this. Because, yeah. uh, Dave, you have interviewed quite a few people on your podcast and told their uh, deconstruction stories. So the question I'd like to ask you, and I'm really keen to hear your response on this, are there themes that are coming out as part of uh, the, the experience that you've had of doing your podcast? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, to, to stay on topic with the religious abuse, I think um, many of the people I've interviewed have tended to be uh, in leadership in one form or another. They were they were the most dedicated uh, and and often they would find themselves in a in a a leadership world where, you know, some prominent leader was manipulative and power and had, you know, power issues and used that uh, against them. Uh, the, uh, for just the bottom basement issue, I think what, what I see all the time is that we have these precipitating events, you know, something, anything that just shakes you out of your, your stupor that, uh, causes you to question at all uh and then the house of cards just begins to to crumble uh and one of those things that often is that precipitating event is some kind of religious abuse or uh or a manipulative leader or or you know for people that are in the lgbtq environment have being outed in some way or another uh being hurt by uh, other congregation members, what have you, uh, th- those little nudges are kind of the thing that starts you to say, what about the next thing? And what about the next thing? And, and it has this domino effect, this cascading effect of, of cascading failure. Uh, and ultimately, they, they recognize they can no longer believe. Yeah, I, I just wanted to pile on. If you're in an abusive relationship um, a personal relationship, uh, nothing to do with religion. If you're in an abusive relationship, my advice to you is to leave it. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's, this is, um, this, you don't, you don't need to think about it. <laughs> you don't need to counsel over it. Uh, you should pack your bags when, when the hand is first raised. Um, and you know, where as things like emotional abuse may, may have different shades and colors. Once, once that line is crossed, that abuse has happened. You should leave that relationship. You really should not put yourself in a place where you can be uh, physically and emotionally and psychologically damaged. And so it is the same 
with religion. Uh, and I think that a lot of people think of religious abuse differently, that, that somehow they should separate the person who they suffered the abuse from from the organization. They should stay with the organization. And No, uh, because the person that you put your trust in is God. That's who you trust it. Uh, and so when you receive that abuse by at the hands of someone who represents God in your life uh, or in, in an organization or assembly that is supposed to be protected by God in some way, that is a betrayal. I just uh, let me just throw this in as one last thought. Um, if if you if you go back to the early church and you think of maybe the Apostle Peter um, think in your mind, just imagine if your mind, if it came out that Peter was an abuser of children or an abuser of women in some way that I don't know if it would have, but that's the sort of thing that should have destroyed the church. Had it been, had it been true, it would certainly have been enough for the people who had heard about uh, the incidents and believed it to have walked away. Because this is a man handpicked by God, doing God's work under the auspices of God, uh, displaying the power of God every day in their midst, and yet he's diddling your wife. This is a this is good reason <laughs> to walk away. I don't know why we think it's less good reason today when you have priests who are supposedly in, in the position of Peter or bishops or... Uh, so forth, who are who are doing things? The, these people have the power to make holy water. God is God is clearly with them. Uh, it is good reason if you suffer abuse at the hands of these people to walk away. Uh, and so, I just wanted to to make an emotional appeal uh, appeal to help Christians understand. Uh, that you know the abuse stories that you hear from people are very real. Uh, they're devastating, and they're good reasons to look at the whole thing and say, "Look, God was supposed to be protecting me here, and He didn't." I want to um, uh, flag up that um, I was, as a Christian, blind, utterly blind to the number of people who had been hurt uh, by by religion in one way or another or abused by religion in one way or another or were suffering from religious trauma. I would have scoffed at the notion of religious trauma. I was, my bubble was such that I never was exposed uh, to the idea that these people existed at all. And I suspect that there are a good many Christians who are in the same situation. And I'm not saying, I'm not passing any fault on them. That's just the nature of the, the circle that they're in and the church they're going to. I'm not accusing them of ignoring them. I'm not accusing them of burying their head in their existence. And I'm certainly not accusing them of seek, of uh, trying to deny their existence. I think they just simply unaware because the world that they live in they simply do not cross paths with those people. And I want to say to Christians, these people do exist. Go and find them. It doesn't take much to look and go and read their stories because 
you will weep and it may change how you view your theology it may change how you behave in church it may change how you see other people as a christian i'm not asking you to give up your faith i'm asking you to just go and see and to find these people who have been hurt who have been traumatized uh, by by religion and just go and see and experience their pain sometimes these people won't even want to talk to you because you're a christian that is how much pain and trauma they're going through as a result of that you need to be aware that they exist and you need to acknowledge their existence because there'll be times when that is good for the other person to know that a christian is aware and a christian cares and a christian wants to make amends but you as a christian do need to know and it's only since being involved in podcasting after the still unbelievable book and listening to podcasts like dave's podcast and podcasts like uh, the everyone's uh, autonomous podcast and other podcasts like it that i've become aware of the sheer number of people out there who are deeply deeply hurt and traumatized by which i count myself as fortunate that i haven't suffered like that and i am really quite i i'm just still getting over the the fact of the sheer numbers of these people are and so when podcasts like the unbelievable podcast have debates about can atheism deliver a better world and people write blog posts about how awesome religion is and how much we need it and how christianity delivers a, a better world i can't listen to those and read those posts and take them seriously with the knowledge that i have of all this trauma that is out there and the only conclusion i can come to about people putting those messages out is they like me were just simply unaware and not aware of that and we need to make christians aware. this is why christians need to listen to podcasts like this need to listen to their story and i'm just gonna sorry sarah um i'm just gonna finish with an example from my own personal life of how christians just miss the point and it's I don't know what the problem is. It's got to be something to do with um, the, the the belief system that, that churches operate. When I was in my 20s, I was in a church that wasn't a fundamentalist church. It was a caring and it was a pastoral church. And at that time in my 20s, I was having an absolutely terrible relationship uh, uh, with my father to the point where I hadn't spoken to him for uh, a number of years. You don't need to know the details of that. What you do need to know was that I came to a point where it all came to a head and I went to some counselling and I was genuinely suffering. And I went and saw this Christian couple in this church I was going to and it, uh, because they were part of, uh, they were just pastoral people in the church. And I went and I they just told the story to them. I poured my heart out to them. And uh, during the conversation, I said that I mean, I was in such a terrible emotional state that when I was cycling to work one day and it was windy and it was raining and I saw a truck coming the other way, I did for a split second contemplate how easy it would just to veer my bicycle into the way of that truck and it would all be over and there'd be no more pain. <laughs> mm. What they did to me, what do you think they should do first? Think about it. What would you do if a young 20-year-old came to you in that kind of emotional turmoil? They had me on my knees confessing my sin yeah. of thinking that through. Now, I didn't see it at the time, but when I look back now, I look back and how much that was the wrong thing to do to somebody like that. 
there should have been so much more compassion. They should have take, found somebody who was a genuine counsellor and made sure that I spoke to them. But they didn't. They had me on my knees confessing it. That's abuse. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. So if you're in a church where that kind of thing would happen, think abuse and look around and look for the care and look for the compassion because somebody in there is not giving it. Sarah. Yeah, so it's interesting your your experiences um, or your conclusions are different to mine because the imperfect Christian was very much at the forefront. By the age of six, our minister had had some sort of affair and the church had split. The next church we went to, um, it was really heavy shepherding and it was a lot of uh, abuse and controlling and manipulating of people and stuff. So by, by age 12, I definitely separated humans that were fallible and messed things up with um, God. So I never had that issue where Christians acted like idiots and or abusive and it was a ma- an issue to the existence of God, I would say the pain is probably worse in a church in the sense that you're promised that this family and it's all hyped up. And so instead of just, you know, you're friends with somebody and you, it goes well and sometimes it goes badly in the church, these people are supposed to be extra special. They're branded as brothers and sisters. So there's all this extra emotional input into it. And so when it goes wrong, it can hurt even more um, and the expectations are, are dropped even even further I mean my parents um, very much had a hard time after being shunned by the uh, this charismatic uh, church we were in because um, it was their whole life and they really thought it was something uh, new and God was doing a new thing and this was the you know the, the, the family etc etc so um, it can hurt a lot more but um, and the whole thing of you know humans making mistakes Christians making mistakes I mean you've only got to go to the Old Testament don't you with David and Jonah and Abraham and none of them were able to they was like trying to herd cats to get them to do what god wanted to do them so i never had that view of of um of this abuse in i mean i know it happens and genuine abuse happens but i just i figure it people are still all trying to do the best they can with what they know um and yeah and for christians unfortunately sometimes it's uh, they've got this world view where you know just praying about the issue is going to sort it out and it isn't necessarily the right thing to do but they are meaning well often um so now you you talk in your uh, in still unbelievable sarah about a very controlling uh time mm. uh in the church where uh, you may or may not see that as abuse, but it's abusive. I, can oh, you, it was can abuse. You speak to, was, can you speak yeah, yeah. to that a little bit? I mean, it, there was a, a point in the um, in your writing where I've always wanted to ask you and just never have. So uh, f- forgive me if, if this is awkward. Uh, where there it came down to the level of which toenail varnish uh, was was right or wrong, and so I was I was just wondering what is in fact the right or wrong toenail varnish people want to know. Tell us Rouge a little noir. bit about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Tell us a little bit about I think the, it, your it was a dog. Is whether you could have a dog or not? Yeah, I mean, people were literally um, asked to confess. Women that had fl- fl- uh, flown, fleen, flown, ran away from <laughs> um, violent relationships had been, you know, told to discipline their children physically, so to smack them and stuff. And you know, as they had literally run away from from violence and stuff. 
So totally inappropriate kind of pseudo counseling sessions. It was just, it was awful. It was, it was terrible. It told people how to live, what to think, how to, who to vote. I mean, it was it's kind of at that level. Um, they set up a school so all the kids could get indoctrinated. And yeah, unfortunately I didn't go, but um, yeah, it was, it was very controlling and you had to, you had a shepherd, everybody had one. You used to go to them to, you know, and it's, it's all kind of, people who failed in, in generally in business and life and things that are kind of trying to tell you how to r- run your life. And, you know, my parents were pretty well educated and traveled and they, uh, they sort of started questioning it. So that was shut down straight away because you, you couldn't do that. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't ask those sort of questions. It disrupted things too much. Um, so they did leave and they went to a, they went back to Anglican church, which kind of leaves you alone really and allows you to be a little bit more human. So, I mean, it really does depend on the path you've, you've walked if you're in a fairly progressive and easygoing church you're probably not going to have too much of a a reaction to some of those things but um yeah i don't i don't know it's you can what caused obviously an issue for matthew wasn't the same thing as caused an issue for me or um i'm sure there's things like the young earth creationism you were into for a while as well and again not not something i came across um but you know other things caused me great great hassle and like i didn't realize the uh, you know the simple things like i didn't realize the gospels weren't written by the um the apostles or uh the disciples and things and i was just like you what that kind of thing was what shook it for me it wasn't good enough really so uh, um it, it 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 really must vary between people it's so individual the uh, the walk we go on with this which is why nobody's got a right to judge it really because they don't know. They've not been there, man. Yeah. So moving moving on from abuse, uh, Dave. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask us each to go around uh, once here, so that we uh, it, people people have the list. They have the write up right now. In fact, as we speak, yeah. I've already posted the blog. Um, so people are probably already tearing it apart already. Um, Dave, what I want to ask you and uh, the rest of the panelists. Um, you know, it can be something from this list or something from your own experience or uh, that you pulled out of your own ass. I don't really care. Why do you think uh, that uh, people leave? If you had to narrow it down to one or two reasons, what what, do you, what would you say the top one, two, maybe three reasons are that uh, people leave the church? <laughs> Uh, wow. Okay. So while I'll acknowledge that I think there are, you know, a near infinite number of reasons that again, one person, a person starts that process the starts the beginning of, of doubt. Uh, for me, I can't escape the fact that, uh, Christianity is just based on untrue things. And so as soon as you start to dig below the surface, even, even just slightly, uh, it begins to fall apart. Um, for me, I started to doubt. It, it wasn't necessarily a theological argument or about sin or any of these things. I started to doubt the the foundations underneath Christianity. Why did I believe that dualism was a thing? Why did I believe that anything supernatural exists? And I, I often would think, well, the apologists, the people much smarter than me have have solved this, right? They've got it. It's just in some book that I haven't yet read. Uh, and when I actually began to go hunt those down to actually, you know, acknowledge, okay, 
I am having some doubts here and I'd like to be reassured thinking that it was just one book away. Uh, and when I began to actually do that research, I was appalled. I was mm -hmm. utterly appalled. <laughs> I, and I try to, I try to express it this way. Reading apologists as a Christian, you have to understand at the time I was very much a believer. I wanted to believe I was looking for support and answers. I was convinced of the conclusions the apologists came up to, but I recognized how bad the arguments were. I could not escape how bad these arguments were. Uh, and so I don't think I'm answering very well for what other people experience, but that one was just so profound for me that, and, I, and I've talked again and again about, I cared about truth and, and I had to acknowledge that I believe this thing for the wrong reasons. And that was kind of the the beginning of the end. It started to unravel for me. The uh, and as soon as I really the the last one, the thing I hung on to the, to the end, and the thing that I think that that atheists sometimes dodge, and I think we should hit head on, is the resurrection. I, I agree with believers. I agree with Paul in the in First Corinthians. If the resurrection happened, as stated on the tin, mm -hmm. we should all be Christians. Yeah, yep. I have no problem with that statement. Right. Yeah. And then what and what happened was I began to evaluate my reasons for believing that the resurrection took place. And I realized that the standard that I had for believing the resurrection took place allowed everything, all religious claims, all supernatural claims. Th there was no boundary on it. And I know that the apologists are, are, you know, yelling and screaming now. There's more evidence here. There's, you know, there's bad evidence for other religions, etc. No, find me a single standard of evidence that only supports the resurrection and Christianity, and and disproves other religions, and we'll begin to have a conversation. So for me, it was it was just about evidence, and and something that I haven't really explained here is is that the big philosophical term epistemology how we know what we know or or the method that we use to determine what we think is true that is what changed for me i i believed that scripture was a way to find truth and that revelation of that scripture was a way to find truth and when i began to doubt that when i began to recognize that actually science scientific method and error correction and evidence uh are more powerful, they're more truthful than arguments, the house, the house of cards started to fall. Yeah, so before before moving on, I just want to um, uh, be the one person on the panel to say, yeah, but the resurrection wouldn't do it for me. <laughs> so, Sure, um, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. That's a, that's a, a longer discussion, uh, but yeah, I actually think that Paul is wrong, <laughs> um, and I think that uh, Christians are wrong. In, uh, so, I this is a podcast in of itself. If someone would like to um, discuss this with me, is does the resurrection really uh, matter? Uh, raise your hand. Um, the, the bar is exceptionally low to get on uh, skeptics and seekers. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it, no, but uh, just in brief, there's too much else that's wrong. So it, it's it, it's I, not I, I, it's right. It's not just for me that oh I don't believe in the resurrection. It's all of the other things that are wrong. And if you somehow prove that a resurrection took place, all of those other things would still be 
a problem. And um, the the other thing is, of course, I would I would feel compelled uh, to think believe more favorably of other religions claims too. you know they're one thing that you could boil it down to and say well you know they could prove well that that happened and so hinduism right. is true or you know for something else is true and so for me it was it's it's never going to be a one one thing uh solves it kind of fix for me uh, you know the resurrection while i don't believe it i'm not anywhere close to be uh, being able to believe it um you know I think that there is probably some framework where you could convince me that someone was resuscitated or that people believed that someone was resuscitated 2,000 years ago and that just wouldn't make me uh, believe there are other claims. Yeah, I think we're in pretty strong, vehement agreement here. I guess what I have, that the point I'm trying to make is that for the Christian, for the people that we're talking to, that's all that matters. And and sometimes we avoid that conversation when actually that's the only conversation that matters, right? Uh, for us, yes, there are bigger problems. There, you know, again, as I mentioned, it was dualism. It was is there something supernatural at all that that started at to, uh, the houses of cards to fall for me? But the last thing that went for me was the resurrection. So that's the only point I was making. Sure. Hmm. So, I think we all get to a point where that's pivotal, isn't it? We thought yeah. to think, yeah, that's right. Paul's right. If it's not, if it's, it does come down to that. But yeah, afterwards, we've by this stage, we've built so many other yes. theories around it. It's, it's too late by, by then to salvage it, really. But uh, So Sarah, what, what do you think is the main reason or a couple of reasons uh, why people leave? Uh, well, I think for fundies, it can often be, you know, kind of, uh, they say things like science and, uh, that, that's been a theme I've seen quite often. People say, oh, you know, it doesn't add up with science again, wouldn't have been an issue for a lot of people in the UK because we never had it pitted against science in the same way as you have it presented with the young earth creationism and all that sort of thing in the States. So, um, yeah that was definitely something i've seen quite a lot of the time i think it's just the old the hit the old uh hiddenness of god problem of evil lack of answered prayers my main thing was it started i just kept questioning what difference it made i kept thinking well i can explain this action by psychology i can explain why people do this because of biology or you know and i and i was thinking so where's where's the bit that's christian where's the bit that makes the difference where is it the prayer because that doesn't seem to be doing anything is it a lifelong service to god you know that doesn't seem to reap the rewards and i wasn't thinking um, material rewards or just character rewards and i couldn't see the big difference i couldn't see where people were different to secular folk and i kept meeting more and more secular folk that were um nicer <laughs> um or better or more sorted or um had life a bit more together and and yeah and you just and so then i think and then i think it's looking at the the biblical evidence whereas you know you can make some good cases and i think you can be a thoughtful christian and have looked at all that and come to a conclusion that you do believe it um but it that's why? Why does? Why is there these different? Why? Who? How do we know where you're going to fall? What? What determines whether somebody looks at the same Bart Ehrman 
argument and thinks, oh my God, that's put me completely off the off the scent now. That's it. I'm I'm through with this. And somebody else will keep their faith, even though they know the same arguments and they even may agree with them. Um, what's the difference there? I don't know. I don't know what it is. So I'd love to know what it is. I'm going to offer two reasons, and then I'll let Matt close out uh, this sec this segment. Um, the the first one, uh, I think, I'm I'm going to just give the Christian um, a little bit of credit here because I think that one of the reasons they give that makes us angry, they're half right about. Uh, which is to say that a lot of people leave because they were never really um, true, convicted uh, Christians, whatever that means. Uh, I, it, I know it means something different to them than it does to us. But uh, the reason I say that is because there's a difference between uh, being sold on something and being truly convinced about something. And I think that the trick of evangelism is oftentimes to swoop in when people are emotionally vulnerable and to sell them on a, on a fix. And then they, they buy into Christianity for a little while. Or uh, the more intellectual um, uh, pursuit might be to uh, argue someone into faith, as it were, to uh, use intellectual arguments to, to win the argument and um, cause a person to simply run out of arguments and uh, so they become uh, a part of a church or, or what have you and, and at least give intellectual assent to arguments without being truly convicted in their hearts. And I think that a, a lot of people find themselves um, in pews and giving tithes because they couldn't come up with a better reason not to. <laughs> and I know that I know that sounds very dismissive, but having been a preacher <laughs> and having had plenty of people in the pews who would have probably rather been somewhere else, <laughs> I I know who these people are, and I I you know I get it. Um, I would I wouldn't have let them go. Um, I roped them in there, and I and I could keep them in there by and large, but it. At the end of the day, there are a lot of people filling pews who aren't bought in to your doctrine or your theology. They're not nearly as bought in as you think they are. Uh, they may argue vehemently about it because it seems intellectually challenging to do so. But they don't go to church uh, all the time. They don't give as they even think they're supposed to. They don't even know what the church's doctrines are. They never read their Bibles. You know who these people are. Um, and the church is full of them. In fact, I think that's the majority of people who are going to churches uh, right now. And so I just think that it is, uh, it is just a fact that that type of Christian, uh, they're going to be picked off easier simply because they may have been talked into it and convinced enough to join a church and maybe put the fear of God or devil uh, into them. And so they need some fire insurance. And so, uh, and then socially, it's a lot easier to say that you believe in God than to say that you don't believe in God. There are all kinds of reasons. At the end of the day, you've got these kind of cultural Christians who were never truly convinced in mm. their hearts. And at some point, uh, life wins out reality wins out and 
and so um, they they walk away. I, re- I, I really think that that's probably the bigger part of the of the problem for Christians. You've got a lot of people that you're calling Christians who are only barely there. Uh, <laughs> they're just barely there. David, I think that's a really, really profoundly interesting point that uh, many of the reactions to deconversions are trying to address those kinds of people, the people who were culturally Christian, mm-hmm. or they're addressing, uh, you know, the teenager or the you know young person in college who just decides, you know what, this isn't for me, right? There's kind of a almost a passive walking away. And that seems to be the the kind of deconversion that the apologists and the believers are responding to. Mm. What I find interesting is that the people that I tend to interview are the people that tend to – they're looking for a new community. They're looking for something to replace what they had. And they and we've talked about the angry atheist a bit or, or you've written about it, David. And it's part of that anger and coming out and being kind of online uh, – uh, maybe even attacking other people is that you're passionate about, you actually care, you care about truth <laughs> and you're trying to convey that. Uh, and so what I'm really fascinated by are the deconversion stories of about like just everyone on this call, people who were in the faith for an extended period of time, they lived it to the best of their ability they may not have been a theology professor or or a pastor or what have you, but they were trying to live it out. And those people trying to do the best they could still come to some con- some fork in the road in which they find they can no longer believe. Right. And uh, so right. I, 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 do, I don't want to discount. I don't want to discount any of our experience or the people who are like us who who were more bought in. Um. There is a difference between the person who is completely bought in and the person who is not completely bought in. I, for one, was completely bought in. Uh, And so it's hard for me to relate to the experience of someone who's not completely bought in, but they're going to church anyway. Just because I can't relate to their experience doesn't mean that I don't know them. Uh, I put some of them in the pews. I know I know them. (laughs) Um, But. For me and for those of us on the panel and for the people that we are mostly talking about, it is a very different experience. I just want to acknowledge, though, for the Christian listening, that the person you're talking about is out there. And I think that when you see uh, churches like the Church of England, you see these empty pews, these empty buildings, these old ancient... I think that this is a lot of it. They were cultural Christians to start with. So I was reading uh, an interesting uh, article on Christianity today, looking at why people, you know, why they're reporting people are leaving. And they're saying, so obviously there's a massive nosedive in numbers at about age 18, uh, when people kind of have that truncating bit of life when they go off to college or they just, you know, grow out of it. And so there's a massive tail off there. Um, but uh, 10% of those who, who kind of leave the Protestant movement um, actually end up becoming Roman Catholic, which I thought was quite interesting because I actually think you can go through a phase where you think oh okay the orthodoxy side looks a bit more uh, like it's actually the real version so I might tend towards that that. 
Yeah, so so it's actually interesting. So those people leaving, obviously giving it quite a lot of thought, and 10% of them um, will become Roman Catholic. 10% of them only will stop believing in God. Um, and so there's about 50% uh, that say that they're still kind of Protestant, you know, and believe in God, but kind of it's no not no longer kind of central to their life or um, that they take much uh, uh, heat um uh, make it very central um but and only seven percent actually identify as atheists so there's a few percentage missing there but um it doesn't quite add up to 100 percent. but anyway <laughs> there was they were saying that um you know it's only people leave because they stop believing in god only only 10 percent, and 10 percent actually of those leaving become roman catholics so i thought it was quite quite interesting and they said that a lot of reasons that they come back um is because of family which is about 37 percent and their own desire 32 percent and only 28 percent think god is calling them back so he's not doing a very uh very high high loud call back is he really <laughs> it's uh, mostly family that's swinging it for for them so i a bit of pressure i suppose or maybe community but um so let, me, let me just take two more minutes and give my second answer uh, and then i will let matthew close off uh, close out this section uh i think the other reason uh that people leave and this addresses more the person like myself and like those of us who are on the panel uh you know what makes a uh, a committed christian uh leave uh, and I think it's a similar answer to what we have heard so far, um, but I just wanted to put it out there. It's the lack of a veridical experience uh, that at the end of the day, when life does get hard and when you do have to fall back on your faith, you're looking for something real. You need yeah. something solid to catch you uh, when you fall and you start to look around. You want to make sure that this this thing that you are counting on your in your life when everything else is coming apart that this thing at least is solid and this is when people like me start crying out to god and saying look i i've got these doubts uh and i know that you uh have appeared to other people in the past or that you know other people are, are claiming uh experience i i need an experience right now I need something veridical, something that I can hang my hat on so that when I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, uh, that I can feel confident about it. And mm. when that thing does not happen, or if you have spent your life in the church and you look back on it and you realize that has never happened, I think that is, I think that is devastating. And then when you start to cry out for it after you realize it hasn't happened and then nothing happens. That's even more devastating. And so uh, at the end of the day, I mean, we've all had experiences that we have claimed were God or the Holy Spirit moving in us or something like this. But what I what I mean by a veridical experience, I may have even used the word the, the veridical test, uh, is that after a few days or weeks or months, are there any experiences that survive a little bit of time? that you can look on and still say, yes, that was absolutely God. And the fact mm -hmm. is, none of us have that. And the reason yeah. I know that is because we're on this side of the fence and not the other side of the fence. If we mm -hmm. had anything that we could look back on and say, that was absolutely God, it couldn't be anything else, we would be believers. Yeah. But yeah. we don't Amen. have that. We don't have it. And at the end of the day, when, when life 
is really, really hard and you want to put your faith in something really, really real and you realize that you don't have a safe landing and the thing that you thought was real isn't responding to you and you can't you can't find any more reason to believe it and nothing in your life passes the vertical test. It is over. It's over, not before you've gone back for 30 more slaps in the face, though, isn't it? That's the thing. <laughs> you keep going back there, and it's, it's when you're just like, I can't take any more slaps, stop it, that you realize you're actually slapping yourself. But, um, yeah, it's you just keep going back, begging for help and more and for it to become real and, and true and just how you've very much heartfeltly said. Um, and it just is it's such a disappointment. It just doesn't come through for you. Anything, such little things could have been enough to keep you there at the time as well. It wouldn't have taken much. Yeah, we wanted to believe. We were looking yeah. for things. You know, yeah. Yeah. you know, show me, show me a sign. Show me. Yeah. I've been staring at the sky for three hours straight. I am cross-eyed, blind. Show me a vision of Mary. I'll take mm-hmm. it. Nothing. I've been fasting for three days. I'm hungry. I'm delirious. Show me a vision of a talking scorpion. I'll take it. Get, you know, <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> no. Hey, Matt, um, close out uh, this section for the listener. Uh, this will, uh, when Matt is done talking, that will conclude part one. Please flip the uh, cassette or... Vinyl over to side B. Side B is not referencing homosexuality. Just flip it over to side B or pick up part two of this discussion wherever fine podcasts are sold. Matt. Yes, I want to acknowledge the um, the uh, uh, casual leavers. We used to call them fringe Christians when, when I was a Christian. Yes, the churches have lots of those people in them, and those people will drift in and out of uh, Christianity, or rather into churches. They won't have what the likes of us would have called a, a strong, firm, uh, on the lapel uh, faith. They were a quiet Christian. You wouldn't have seen them raising their hands up in in prayer or or pre or speaking aloud in, in tongues, but they were there in church and they were regular. And yeah, when they disappear, it's very easy to say, well, yeah, they, were, they weren't really there. Well, if you can't keep that person coming to your church, <laughs> what right have you got it's to even try point. to keep the likes of us? <laughs> you know, those people are really easy. They're, they're there for the community. They're there for, for the coffee and the, and the, the chats, you know, and these these people, when they haven't been to church for a couple of years and they're just out at work and they're or they're wandering in the shops, they might still identify as Christian. Yeah, they haven't rejected it hook, line and sinker the way the likes I have. They would probably really be upset if you were to pass the label apostate or atheist or, or something like that uh, on them. You know, they would probably still consider them so as Christian, you know, that's just how they are. Those, those people exist. And if you, the church can't keep those people in, then, you know, why are you getting upset about, about us, you know, who are, who are in there, who'd swallowed it all the way? I was neck deep in 
in my Christianity. Uh, so yeah, th- those people leave because whatever it is about Christianity, it isn't grabbing them. You know, the unique selling point or, or the way of life or, uh, or the, uh, the, the being good on, on to others, that's just not keeping them coming in through the door. You need to rethink your message if you can't keep those people. And, and then at the other end of the spectrum is the, the people who they just can't map the message of Christianity with their knowledge, with their intellectual knowledge, with their scientific knowledge. And that was certainly the case for me. And I know it's the case for quite a lot of people. You know, as soon as people start learning about uh, evolution and uh, the, the way uh, creatures have evolved over millions of years and, and certainly the complexity uh, around the brain and the the rise the 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 way consciousness uh, arose in us and the, look up at the stars and the way universes have been birthed in through highly uh was it, spectacular traumatic explosions and the knowledge that the the calcium in our bones and the gold and the silver in the rings that we've got and the the other metals that are in our electronics devices, that the only reason that those things actually exist in our universe is because a star has gone supernova because that is the only way within this universe of those things being made. And everything about this is naturally explained. <laughs> we, know, we, we know how these work with, with quite good detail a lot of the time. And as soon as you start to appreciate just how much we do know about these kinds of things, you know, the, the explanations that uh, Christianity gives and the, the God did it bottom line ceases to become satisfactory. And that is the other reason why people leave. And that was absolutely the reason why I left. You know, I, I was gone before I got to the question of the resurrection because you know, Adam and Eve, the, the Tower of Babel, the, the exodus from, from Egypt, none of those things were working for me anymore. And then Joshua's battles and all that. As soon as I started to realize that those things are just legend written down uh, over years and evolved stories like all cultures are, are full of these kinds of ancient historic narratives. As soon as I realized that, by the time I got to the New Testament, I was gone. So I didn't need to answer the question about the resurrection. Hmm. So Ooh. on side B, we will talk about what Christians can do to keep people like us from leaving and other positive things. And so if, if, if you found this a little bit of um, a bunch of angry atheists venting, I think that you'll find something different on side B. Also, it will be shorter because at the end of the day, we have no idea. Uh, so uh, until then, <laughs> spoilers, <laughs> spoiler alert. Until, until then, everybody, uh, we will see you on the other side. <laughs>